Amen. Amen. You can be seated. If you know Marvin and Sharon, I would just encourage you, send a card, right? Send a text, call them if you know them well enough, just to let them know that you're thinking about them and praying for them. There's, and without an expectation of them texting back or calling back. You with me? This is, it's just about us loving, loving on them without an expectation of anything in turn. We, just, we want them to feel like they're not walking through this tragedy alone. Hey, I want to stay in this theme of death just for a minute. I was, spent most of my Friday and, and Thursday night with, at a funeral as well uh, with a tragic uh, death of a family member on Monday. And uh, it, was, it was one of the most powerful funerals that I've ever been to on Friday morning. And, and that's saying something for me because in my line of work, this is part of what we do. So I've attended countless funerals, presided over countless funerals, but I'm telling you that one on Friday, it was my, my niece's mother-in-law that died in a car accident. It, it was the first time I had ever been at a funeral where I felt like the person who had passed was there speaking to us. Not, not in an eerie way, but it was as though she was there telling us her story. The, the people that spoke on her behalf had such a deep relationship with her. She had touched so many people in that community of Charles City and New Kent. We, we met outside because of COVID, but it's a good thing we did because there was, there's probably, they would have not been able to find a building that would have housed all the people that came to remember her and celebrate her life. She loved Jesus with all of her heart. So it was an incredible celebration of a woman who's now in the place where we hope to be. And as I was standing there in the outside in that service, I, I, I kept finding myself looking at the casket. Now, I, again, have seen a lot of caskets. And, and, as I'm, and as I'm looking at this casket, I'm struck by how small it is. Not, not because it was smaller than a typical casket. I, just for some reason, I just kept thinking this thought, that casket seems small. And I realized the Holy Spirit was, was, was trying to inspire this thought in me because he was, wanted to say something to me. And so I'm just there and the service is going on. I'm staring at this casket and, and, and I felt like the Holy Spirit whispered these words to me. He said, Fred, you, you know what can't fit in there? I was just quiet because I, I knew he was going to give me the answer. He said, you can't fit anger in that casket. You can't fit unkindness in that casket. You can't fit bitterness and hurtful words in that casket. And that last list just kept going on and on and on and on. And then, and then when he got to the end of the list, this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, because there's no room for them in heaven. Because heaven has no need for things like that. And I knew that he wasn't just talking about the world. He was talking about me. Because that day is going to come for, for all of us. Just the conviction of my own heart as I begin to think back over my life. Even some of my recent days. You tracking with me? What are some things that I've done? Things that I've said, attitudes that I've had that would not fit in that box, that I'm one day going to be in myself. 
And if that wasn't enough, then he asked me another question. He said, you know what else can't fit in there? And now I'm nervous, right? Because I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling convicted enough. And I was surprised at what he said. He said, you can't fit love in there either, Fred, or mercy, or grace, or acceptance, or hope, or joy. And that list kept going on and on and on and on. And he gave me the same answer as the first list, because there's no need for those things in heaven, because heaven is already full of them. It's powerful, isn't it? Because what he was saying to me, which we all know, is that we come into this world with nothing and we leave this world with nothing. But we leave a lot behind. We leave a lot behind. And I'm sure you're familiar with the sentiment as I am that oftentimes at funerals we talk about how we can't take material things with us. But it's really the first time I really thought about all the other things that we don't take with us either but we most certainly leave them here. And they become part of the legacy that we leave that continues to either hurt or build people up long after we're gone, oftentimes for generations, as Pastor Justin so well taught us last week. What are you leaving when it's your time to go? What are you going to leave behind? So as I continued to stand there, somebody else came up to share about Glenda's life, and part of her obituary, which I loved, was, was, was if you left her house hungry, it was your fault. <laughs> Don't you love that? They told stories about at church potlucks that you, you know you're good in the kitchen is when people in line at a church potluck want to know where your dish is. So there's room on their plate when they get to what you make, right? And, and so the morning of her death, that Monday morning, the last thing that she did, the last tangible act that she did for her life was she made this huge pot of chicken and rice soup. There wasn't a big family event. There wasn't, it's just, this is just part of who she was. There was this massive pot of chicken and rice soup on that stove simmering. And it wasn't too long after that that she was standing in heaven. They're telling the story at the funeral and, 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 and about how the family, right, they're starting to get the phone calls. People are showing up on the scene. Family begins to gather. Now they're beginning to call others to let them know what had happened. And family is, is now re, reconvening at their house just to weep and to mourn and to just the shock, right? She's gone. And they're there in the kitchen, that family. And they look up because they smell something. It smells a lot like Glenda because this is what she did for her whole life. They said it was as though she knew she was leaving that day, and even after her death, she was still caring for us, because that's exactly what Glenda would have done for some other family, 
would have shown up with a big old vat of soup that she had made to comfort them. It's incredible, isn't it? And there they were, eating that soup that she had made for them that very morning. And then I felt like the Holy Spirit began to ask me some more questions. And it was a lot like the conversation before about the casket. And he said, Fred, what's in your soup that you're making? What's in your soup? And I know exactly what he meant when I think about those two lists. Now, I don't, I was going to say I don't do a lot of cooking, but that would be a lie. I don't do any cooking. (laughs) I'm a straight consumer in my household. But I know enough about cooking to know this. Once an ingredient goes into that pot, you can't take it back out. Once it goes in, what it is, regardless of the portion, it can't be undone. It cannot be undone. And I also know this, that the, the smallest of ingredients that are left out The smallest of ingredients, even the smallest of portions, will inevitably leave that soup's flavor woefully lacking. So, Father, before we dig into this message with the time that we have remaining, God, I've had such a sense ever since Friday that, that, that you wanted to challenge us today those that are in this room, those that are watching on the live stream at home, people that might even be watching this months or years from now, that you wanted to get our attention because you want us to understand what's at stake. You've given us one life to live, one time span that belongs to us that you've already determined. And long after, We are gone from this place. Our life is going to reverberate through others. Things that we said, how we treated them, the attitude of our hearts. So I pray, I know it is for me, and I pray it is for others. This is going to be a turning point for us that we're going to wake up every day realizing that we are standing in front of a stove and we are creating a dish that is supposed to nourish the people around us. And may we just stop putting stuff in there that doesn't belong And may we stop being so stingy with the ingredients that you desire. And may the legacy of our lives nourish people for generations to come. And Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Come on, and everybody said together. Amen. All right, I got 15 minutes. These notes are online. 
always. It's the series that we're in, Protagonists Anonymous. Let me just do, just do a couple other quick things. I just want to give a shout out to Chris House. This month is six years on staff with us. Come on. They're out of town this weekend, but Chris, as you've heard, I'm going to just keep saying it. I'm his pastor, but oftentimes he's my teacher. But I believe that also not only is he just an incredible worship leader, he is a modern-day prophet in our world and in our society, and we need his voice. Let me just shout out to September 12th. It's coming up. It's going to be a, a, an hour of a worship and prayer and communion. There won't be a message that night. It's, it's, it's just our way of just, we, we just want to spend some time in the presence of the Lord. Come on. So I hope you show up for that with us. We'll have prayer stations throughout the room. We'll continue to do social distancing and masks. And then next week, we're in for a treat. A, a dear friend of mine, Kevin Swan, Pastor Kevin Swan of Ivy Baptist from downtown Newport News, is going to be wrapping up our series, Protagonist Anonymous. It's going to be good. Tonight's message is about a man by the name of Epenetus. Epenetus. This whole series is about looking at people that oftentimes we never knew were in the Bible and believing that there was a lesson that can come from their lives. Josh, I'm going to be jumping around here because I've got less time than I, than I had planned, so I'm going to jump right down to the slide for Romans, Romans 16, 3 to 5. Let's read that together. This is out of the New Living Translation. This is Paul writing to the Church of Rome. He says, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila. And my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus, in fact, they once risked their lives for me. I am thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Here it comes, and greet my dear friend Epenetus, who, listen, who was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. How great is that? The first person in all of Asia to make a vow of devotion to Christ. I like how the New American Standard renders it, where Paul says, Greet Epenetus, and he says, My beloved. My beloved, who was the first convert to Christ from Asia. In the notes, if you download them, the three lessons that he gives us is living, but not yet alive present but not yet assigned, known but not yet beloved. I'm going to do the known but not yet beloved. Again, you can get the other two through the notes online and maybe I'll do a couple of recorded devotions this week to share my thoughts on them. But I want to focus on this idea of beloved, known but not yet beloved. In the Greek, it's the word agapitas. Now, we know there's all different kinds of love, right? There's the love that we have for our wife. It's romantic love. There's love that we have for our brothers and sisters, right? Phileo, Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. But agape love is, is, is the word that the Bible uses to talk about a perfect love. It, it talks about a godly love. And that's the word when Paul says, my beloved. It's, it's, it's not based on brotherly love. He's saying this, this person, there's a love that we share that is sacred, the gapitas. My beloved. See, I believe that many of us, we spend a lot of years in churches as devoted followers of Christ, and we spend those years known by others, but are we beloved by them? Maybe there's people that you know, but are they beloved by you? Because beloved is a whole different standard. 
And I'm going to suggest to you tonight that it doesn't mean that it's just deeper affection. It doesn't just mean that you dive deeper into the idea of brotherly love. See, because in the Bible, it's a completely different kind of word because it has a completely different kind of meaning. Now, now, does it mean that there's a depth of affection? Sure it does. Does it mean that there's a depth of loyalty? You better believe that it does. But it also means that it is born out of something very different than just a friendship that starts as an acquaintance. Ephesians 3.10 reads this way, God's purpose in all this was to use the church, listen to this, to display his wisdom in its rich variety, meaning that God is wise in all things, right? not just some things, right? As as human beings, we're wise in th- some things, unwise in other things. This is Paul saying God's wise in all things. In its rich variety, listen to what says, to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You following this? God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom. So God wants to use the church to display his wisdom to who? To the world? Sure, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. To the unseen rulers and authority in heavenly places. What God wants to use the church to teach the heavens about his wisdom. You've got to be kidding me. We're important. Come on. 1 Peter 1.12b, the last part of 1 Peter 1.12. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Stop it. See, I believe where beloved is born out of is a depth of friendship that finds its context in an eternal purpose. Now, you can have close friends, you can have deep friends. But once those friendships come under the banner of a sacred, eternal purpose, you can go from known to beloved. Now, we know that there's all kinds of sacred purpose that's attached to the church. We teach about it all the time for the sake of time. We're not diving into all of those things tonight. I just wanted to add one to the list I think that is often overlooked. It's kind of in keeping with the theme of this series. The church is God's instrument to teach heaven about himself. Wow! Sacred. Sacred. Let me share these thoughts with you. Beloved doesn't just mean a deeply valued friendship. It means affection stoked by a common, eternal purpose. You will never know, and you will never know the full experience of being beloved until you are rooted in a local church. You will never know what it means to be beloved until you are rooted in the local church. Why? Because Jesus himself said one of the great reasons why he came was to build the church. Because the church is supposed to be the instrument of preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to the world, which was going to be part of our first point. But not just that. The church doesn't just have an eternal purpose, sacred purpose for, for, for reaching and teaching the world. The Bible tells us, right, it's right here, and also in 1 Peter in, in Ephesians, that the church also serves as a purpose for God to point at as he's continuing to teach in heaven. When your relationships 
find themselves within the context of the sacredness of eternal destinies, it makes it possible for there to be a depth of intimacy that would otherwise not be possible. This is what it means to be beloved. I don't know about you, but I want to experience beloved in my lifetime. There you go. Teach that child how to respond. Raise them up right. Raise them up right. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Therefore, this is Paul. I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. He's not just talking about it in a metaphorical sense, although he does often, but he's literally in prison when he's writing this letter. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. He's giving us some super ingredients right here, church. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in spirit, binding yourselves together in peace. Binding here is not talking about bond as in adhesion. He's using binding here as a play on words to be in prison because if you know anything about prison is that you're not free to do what you want to do. And Paul's saying that same sentiment should be attached to your relationship in the local church. You're not free to just do what you want to do. You should always be doing what's in the best interest of other people. And you should be bound and imprisoned to that virtue and to that value. Make every effort, he says. Have you ever noticed, though, before he talks about the relationship, he talks about the purpose. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Why? Because Paul understands this principle of being beloved. He can't talk to them about depth of relationship until he reminds them that that relationship has to find its context in an eternal purpose. He's saying, give yourself to the calling of God on your life, and then you're going to be able to experience a depth of intimacy that you never thought was even possible. Let me just give you four words that help define for us what it means to be rooted in the church. Again, I'm giving these references to you so that you can, if you so desire, can look them up and read them for yourself. The first one is this, devoted. Are you devoted? Not first to the people, listen to me, but are you devoted to the vision? Because if you're not devoted to the vision of the house, then you're never going to experience true devotion to the people of the house. And people get that backwards. That's why sometimes people find themselves in churches where they're not supposed to be in. They, they go to churches be, be, because they want to connect relationally, but you've got to connect first to the vision before those relationships can be what God intended them to be. For us, we talk about vision in through three words. We, we talk about a message, heaven now, heaven forever. We talk about a moment, your family from the first hello, and then we talk about a mission. To build a church, Jesus envisioned to love the world he died to save. If those thoughts are new for you, they're on our website. You should spend some time reading about them. 
Talk about things that we value here at this church, the, those E-words that are important to us about encounter and embrace and engage, leading the 757 into his presence with his family for his missions. That's not just clever marketing. We're trying to help you understand what we're about here at the City Life Church. So you got to get devoted to what the church is about before you can be devoted to the people that are doing it. Because we believe in this principle of beloved. Let those relationships come under the context of a calling. And you know what the true test of how devoted you are? It's disagreement. Oh, you know it is. Because as you're strolling along in life and church and you bump up against your first disagreement, and if you haven't yet, it's just waiting for you, just so you know, because we're all people here just like you. Disagreements are the best things because it tests the metal of your devotion, both to the vision of the house and the people of the house. You got to be devoted, you got to be active. Listen, you have to be active. You don't have to be active right away because it takes time to figure out this is the place where God's called you to be. But if this is the place that God has called you to be, being a part of a local church, especially in a biblical sense, and if you're going to be rooted there, if you're chasing after beloved like I am, you've got to be active. You've got to look into your life and say, who has God made me to be? We love the book by Eric Reese Shape, Spiritual Gifts, Heart's Desire, Natural abilities, personality, life experiences, function follows form. Check out that book if you've never read it before. Figure out who God's made you to be so you can figure out what you're supposed to be doing and then get busy. Do something. Be active. Be active. You got to be invested. Devoted, active, and invested. I'm going to borrow David's word that he made up in the wrap-up. Sostris. I texted him. I think seamstress was the word you were looking for, right? Seamstress or seamster, if you're a dude and you like to sew. All right, I'm down. It's all right. I like that word, sostress or so-stir. You sew into the house that you call home. You sew into the house that you call home. Whenever we talk about tithing here at this church, I, I, I always say the same thing. If you believe in it, do it. If you don't, then follow the conviction of your heart and be generous in your giving. You either believe in the biblical principle of tithing, or if you don't, you have to at least believe in the biblical virtue of generosity. Either way, you should be giving liberally at whatever church that you call home. Whatever church you call home, you should be invested where you are. You should be devoted, you should be active, you should be invested, and I love this last one, you should be honest. You should be honest. 1 Corinthians 3, 2 talks about where Paul said, when I was with you, I just gave you the milk because you weren't even ready yet for the meat. I wonder sometimes if we're honest about where we are in our spiritual maturity and our spiritual appetite, because that's part of what it means to be rooted in local church. And sometimes it's why disagreements become conflicts is because people aren't willing to be honest about their own inadequacies. And sometimes they're not willing to follow the direction or sometimes even the correction by people that are more spiritually mature than they are. This is part of what it means to be honest, to be humble and self-aware of our own inadequacies. And I'm including myself in that. If you do not have people in your life who you trust to correct you, to say no to you, even when you don't think that you're wrong and even when you don't want to hear it, then you're not being honest with this, yourself, the community that you're part of. 
I don't know about you, but I don't want to just be known in this life. I want to be beloved, and I want to be a source of beloving other people. And the Bible tells us that we can have that in this life. When we root ourselves into the local church and bring those relationships under the banner of an eternal purpose and a sacred calling, there's a depth and a meaningfulness of relationship that we can find. And in those relationships, they begin to help us grow. They begin to help us see parts of ourselves that need to change so that the soup, come on, that we're cooking on the stove of our life that other people are feeding on, it's going to be full of all the things that are supposed to be in there and void of everything that's not. Stand with me tonight. If you're here, I hope you're going to hang out with us. Pelican snow is on us out in the parking lot. Even if you can only stay for a little while, we hope that you will join us out there. If you didn't bring food, you can order food. If you can't order food, then we will give you food because all of us that brought it, we always bring a little extra. Come on, don't be shy. Don't be shy. If you're watching online and you're close, you come on out. You can sneak right into the line for Pelican Snow. We won't judge you. No, seriously, if you're close and you want to come, you come. You, you join us. You join us. Father, we, we, we thank you for how you made this world. We thank you for how you made this world. And we know by your design, by your design, this human experience is about living and it's also about dying. Because dying can become living in its own way. It doesn't have to be the end of everything. It can be the beginning of all things of eternity with you. So if you're here tonight and as you look back onto the story of your life, if you've never made a vow of devotion to Christ, you make it today. You make it today. Just where you are, just find the words that sound like this. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead and I believe that you're coming again. And on this day, I make a vow of devotion to you to live for you for the rest of my days. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I celebrate today that I am born into the family of God in Jesus' name. Come on. And everybody said together, amen. We'll see you outside.